Welcome to Cardboard Conjecture. We're a podcast about board games where we have opinions and conclusions formed on the basis of incomplete information. This episode of Cardboard Conjecture is brought to you by these great Saskatoon businesses. Amazing Stories Comics on 8th Street, Dragon's Den Games on 8th Street, and Breakout Escape Rooms on Faithful Avenue. Hey there, I'm your host Norm and this is the Cardboard Conjecture Podcast. Uh, This episode will do some games of late and it is a topic episode and it's the designer series and we are pleased to have on the podcast Matt Riddle. And Matt is from Detroit and when I hear the word Detroit all I can think of is Kiss and Detroit Rock City. Cardboard Conjecture is proudly sponsored by... Amazing Stories Comics on 8th Street in Saskatoon. They're the winner of the Joe Schuster Award for Best Comic Book Store in Canada, and they were also nominated in 2016 for the U.S. Eisner Spirit of Comics Retailer Award, presented at Comic-Con. Amazing Stories' amazing collection of comic books, board games, puzzles, and collectibles can be found in their store or on their new online website. And we're back. This is Cardboard Conjecture. Before we get into our typical games of late, I would love to take the opportunity to introduce a guest for this episode. Um, And this is the designer series. So welcome, Matt Riddle. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. Happy to be here. Yay! And uh, we'll get deeper into uh, into uh, you, you and your games in the segment. But now I want to know what uh, what have you been playing recently? Because I follow you on Twitter. I see a lot of your uh, game screenshots, and uh, and I'm curious. I'm curious to see what's going on. Yeah. So you know, it's interesting. I, I know you talk to a lot of creators, so I'm sure you hear the same. You know, kind of we'll say spiel about how you play a lot of your own stuff, and you know, <laughs> it, it is true. Because it, it, it is hard to, especially, I would say, you know, for me, uh, I lost my primary gaming day, which was a once a month game day. Uh-huh. Not granted, I only made it to that every few months. <laughs> but, uh, you know, it's a lot of times so if I'm getting together with, like, say, Ben and Adam, you know, who I design with, you know, we, we mix design and play yeah. um, a decent amount. And lately, you know, with obviously with the Kickstarter going on and stuff, we've been a little heavier on the design side. But I did get a chance to play... Um, Quantum Suyu, which was, you know, uh, David Turtsey. Um, oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, from Board and Dice. And it's a, you know, it's got like a, it's rated like 4.1 on BGG, mm-hmm. which means, you know, it's considered to be pretty heavy. I don't think it's quite that heavy. Um, I, I liked it. I did, it was a like, not a love. I, I think I I appreciated the design. And it's, it's very much a, you know, it kind of has this very large sort of, it's almost like a grid, but it really isn't kind of based action selection system where you place meeples and as you, where you place meeples triggers adjacent actions and based on other things that you do, you can get bonuses. And it, it's a, it was a very much, you know, it, it fits very much into that sort of, uh, I think they call it like the T series, yeah. all those games they have with the, the start with the letter T. Tolkien Bo- and exactly yeah. exactly I, I don't know if i pronounced it properly <laughs> yeah no no i i'm with That's you a trick shot <laughs> yeah it is and they're all you know they're all kind of set in that um i'm gonna say mesoamerican i'm not 100 yeah. sure that's accurate but yeah. you know that that region and yeah it was it was good though it, it was it was good it was um 
I played it twice now, actually. So I got I, I like the second play. I, I don't get to play games as much as I would like, so I don't usually get tons and tons of plays. Mm-hmm. But getting a second play within a you know within a month or so of learning it, you know, let me kind of experience it without having to have that sort of initial rules overhead. And I liked it more the second time than the first time. But yeah, it's definitely a, it's it was definitely a, a a good game, something that I enjoyed. Didn't love, but enjoyed. Okay, have you played the others in that series? Quite a few of them. I mean, I love yeah. Zulkin. Yeah. Um, I think I think they consider, boy, um, what's the one I'm thinking of that was like a redo? Oh, uh, oh, oh, I can't golly. remember. But mm. my, my thought was, is there coming from a designer? Do you see uh, like a thread? Because it's a series, right? Can you define the thread of continuity that connects all three of these games together, or is it just theme? I don't is think a design thing that is like you know how like how Rosenberg's like I'll move the polyomino to this interpretation and I'm mm-hmm. right. I do. I don't know that I would consider those games. You know, besides they all come from board and dice, I guess. But you know, I don't. <laughs> uh, I don't know that there's much of a you know we'll say a family tie-in. I mean, yeah. besides the fact that they tend to be you know, a little bit on the heavier side. Um, so, you know, I don't know if it's just a matter of like they would be, you know, mid plus, mid to heavy euros is probably the only that I can think of thing I would say okay. transfers from game to game. I don't yeah. really think there's much. I think they have been lately theming them again, kind of in that same yeah. area of the world. I don't know. Okay. You know, because like Teotihuacan is obviously one of the early ones, but then I think they consider... Uh, Trismegistus, part of that series as well, which oh. I, I, I like, don't love. You know, I'm not sure if it's part of that series or not, but it kind of fits to me in that, um, you know, again, the sort of that heavy, mid to heavy Euro yeah. uh, type game that, you know, I think does is defined by by that series of games. So cool. I like them. I'm, uh, I'm quite curious because uh, I've yet to, uh, we're, uh, every week we play uh, Gamer's Garage in my, in my, in my garage. And uh, we're playing Zulkin, um this uh, Wednesday, and I've never played it before. So, every, oh. and of course, everybody's like, you've never played Zulkin. It's like, <laughs> no, I haven't. So I'm fired up because uh, just that whole, I mean, not that it's a gimmick, the whole cog thing, but um, my, my, my uh, hyperactive brain just loves the idea of seeing how all of those things connect in regards to their movements. And I, mm-hmm. I just can't wait. Yeah. Yeah, no, Zulkin's good. I, I, I like Zulkin a lot. Um, I'm trying to think of which one I would consider my favorite, but I do I do like Zulkin a lot. Cool. But that is a, that is a good one. Yeah. What are you doing? Um, uh, I, I, I don't know if I'm even in the same ballpark, but uh, um, as, far as, as far as thematic connections, I played, uh, I, and it's right in front of me right now, is Tiny Epic Dungeons, because mm-hmm. I, I did the Kickstarter thing, and I, and I just got it in. And uh, I DM... Uh, twice a, just about twice a week with a couple of different gaming groups. And uh, I've I, I never had the opportunity to be the player, right? So it's just like playing solo. This <laughs> For me, I'm kind of like, okay, it's, it's not, you know, that whole deep collective, you know, narrative contribution thing, but at least I get to uh, hack and slash and kick in some doors and <laughs> yeah. roll for some treasure, right? And I mean, I'm, I'm having fun. It's kicking my butt too. <laughs> Have you? And again, that tiny epic series. Um, what they, as far as the design philosophy, is uh, fit it in this box, but it has to take up the whole table. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. 
And I'm, that, I mean, I laugh. I love it. It's a great series. I mean, I, I've known Scott a long time. You know, Scott Allen was a designer. Yeah. And I remember, geez, way back when the first one was Tiny Epic. Uh, oh, golly. Not Galaxies wasn't first. Tiny and Epic. Defenders? Was it, was it Defenders? No, Kingdoms. Oh, Kingdoms yeah, that's first. it. Yeah. Yep, yep. And it, it's it's wild to watch that series grow. And, you know, every time they do another one, you know, it's just as popular as the last yeah. one. And, you know, they're, and to your point, they're all different. There isn't really, you know, every, every each one kind of explores a new kind of mechanical space. And I, I mean, I think they're just excellent, excellent designs. And to your point, right, the only real uh, design, you know, I would say like the only requirements are, hey, it's got to fit in this box. Yeah. And uh, yeah, after that, you can do anything you want. And I think they're super well done. I think that is such a brilliant um, uh constraint challenge for a designer and i'm thinking too from my and i'm thinking way back in my memory from my university days when i when i loved uh, my theater and my improvisation and that idea of here's your limits now be creative within mm-hmm. these constraints right i mean uh, a lot of people go oh i think outside the box but you know sometimes making you problem solve within the box can be interesting too and and man they've got a groove like they're they've, they're starting to hone that that approach or methodology to what works and what doesn't work in regards to fit it in the box. <laughs> yep, absolutely. No, I totally agree. Yeah, I'm still. I don't know. I'm galaxies. I, I'm I'm still. That's my fave out of that mm-hmm. whole series. And I mean, it could have been. It can be too. That whole you know dance with the one that brought you. Right. That was the first one that I played. Getting into this series, so. I always like Galaxies as well. Um, I have not played the last couple. I've not played anything since Zombies, honestly. Mm-hmm. Just that's not true. I played Dinosaurs. I did like Dinosaurs, <laughs> but I, I, I haven't played Pirates. I haven't played uh, Zombies, and I haven't played. I actually haven't played Quest either. But you know, it's just one of those things where I just I have one buddy that does usually buy them, but they mm-hmm. just haven't got to the table with me. So, and yeah. What is- is it Quest that people go say that it's Zelda in a box? Is yeah, yeah. Quest was the eight bit oh. kind of. Yep, yep. See now, now for me, it's just sort of like okay. As we're talking, I'll go to the website, put that in the cart. <laughs> yeah. No, I mean it's definitely that one too. Had uh, you know had really kind of cool, like you said, video game art and yeah, which I which I thought was really neat. So yeah, I think the I'm trying to think of which one. Boy, oh boy, they've made a lot of them. <laughs> the, the, and like the one, um, and again, the ones I don't have and other friends have, like t- a, a Tiny Epic Western, a couple of friends of mine are like, oh, dude, you got you to gotta <laughs> play that one. That one's awesome, right? Mm-hmm. So, I mean, I, th- I think what they're doing is they're, they're approaching every game style slash format from that methodology of that's great, fit it in the box. Right. <laughs> Yeah, no, yeah. it's true. And, and I know people really, really like Dungeon so far, like the folks that have had a chance to play it. So, you know, that, that's pretty awesome. 
This episode of Cardboard Conjecture is proudly sponsored by Dragon's Den Games, located in the Louis VIII Mall on 8th Street in Saskatoon. Swing by Dragon's Den Games and let Darren, Al, and the awesome staff help you out in search for great board games, role-playing games, miniature systems, and all of the related accessories. Be a part of their gaming communities that have scheduled events in their great gaming area. Dragon's Den Games, Louis VIII Mall on 8th Street in Saskatoon. And welcome back. This is Cardboard Conjecture. Let's get to the topic. And this is the designer series. And we have the absolute pleasure of having on the uh, uh, program, Matt Riddle. And uh, now uh, well, let's get this asterisk uh, in, in play here. Um, Detroit. Yep. Yep. And uh, now um, I think I think we're kind of in the same age bracket. I might be older. But uh, when uh, when I hear of um, Detroit or Boston, and I'm a Canadian boy, so I'm thinking original six. Yep, right, I figured right. you were. I, I thought you were going there. <laughs> yeah, it's like well, and of course the old kind of hockey night in Canada emblem here. And uh, so to me, there's there's this epic nostalgia, right? I mean, and uh, I don't know if uh, when we were communicating, I kind of threw in a little uh, little footnote that uh, Saskatoon, where I'm from, is uh, is the hometown of uh, one said Gordon Howe. You did mention that. Yep. We, it's funny because, you know, it's one of those things where, you know, you grow up in Detroit and, you know, the hockey town, all that kind of things. Yeah. And, you know, I would say I grew up a, you know, a, a passive hockey fan, but then I went where I went to college at Michigan tech was a hockey school mm-hmm. and, you know, I'm engineering by trade and, you know, I went to all the college hockey games. It was fantastic. And it kind of got me back into hockey as an adult. And I grew up, it's funny because, because I grew up in Detroit you know, I grew up with uh, CBC. You know, for us it was Channel Nine, <laughs> yeah, yeah, and yeah. you know, so we had you know two, four, Holly seven. Meeker you know, and <laughs> yeah, you know, and, and obviously, you know, we I grew up kind of watching a little bit of Hockey Night in Canada and a little bit of uh, you know some of the just the random things that you know like Kids in the Hall and some of the cool <laughs> yeah, stuff yeah. that was that was on CBC that wasn't necessarily on American television, especially frankly, you know, uh, prior to cable. And you know, it's just one of those things where I really have always, you know, kind of associated in my, and frankly, my dad's family is all from Canada. Now, Eastern Canada, yep. uh, you're kind of Western, kind of Western center. Now, so, uh, would we're, you be we're like, West. we're absolutely, yeah, yeah. So sure. you're like a Calgary fan then, or how does that? Well, see, we're, if you draw a line on the North Dakota, South Dakota um, border, and I think straddling more so to the, to the Minnesota side, if you draw a line straight up, Mm-hmm. At the border, going six hours north, you'll hit Saskatoon. So okay. we're, we're in between of, uh, talking hockey, we're in between of Winnipeg and Edmonton and Calgary because they're kind okay. of stacked one on top of the yeah. other. Yep, yep. Yeah, yep, so yep. That we're, makes sense. We're flat land. I mean, it's like it's like the big joke is uh, it's so flat here, or your dog runs away and you can see it for three days. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, that, I've not been, you know, it's funny. I was thinking to just to put a bow on. Hockey Night in Canada, you know, I grew up with, <laughs> you know, obviously Don Cherry was the, oh, yeah. you know, the big personality. <laughs> but uh, Mickey Redman is the guy that does all the hockey games in Detroit still. And, you know, he was kind of a, I forget exactly which team he played for, but, you know, he always kind of referenced back to the Canadian hockey teams. And it's, uh, yeah, no, I mean, he was, a, you know, he played for the Wings, obviously, but I think he played for uh, Montreal as well mm-hmm. back, back in their heyday. So, but yeah, no, um, you know, so I've been to, you know, all over, you know, Ontario and 
you know, Toronto and that kind of, you know, really, but that, you know, for us, it's, yeah, when you're in Detroit, actually, there's parts of Canada that are south of you, which is always yeah, kind yeah. of a, which is kind of a, one of those funny little facts, but, well, um, I'm a, I'm a history teacher. Um, yeah. and, uh, my, my big little bonus question is, uh, is, uh, if you're in Detroit, when you travel to Canada, what direction are you going? Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Cause you are South when you cross the bridge, you're going uh, South. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, um, okay. We, I mean, we can go talk, we could take this whole episode and talk hockey. That's I'm, I'm loving it already, <laughs> but, uh, so yes, welcome to the program. And, uh, so we've already given some good background and usually I like to go into the, you know, where, where'd you go to school and this whole thing. But yeah, I think, uh, for me, a lot of uh, what I want to do before we talk about games is that whole idea of, you know, nature nurtures, you know, where are you from, but what also uh, were you hooked on? Like, I mean, teen, like teens and 20s. Yeah. To me, those are the years where you you get to choose. You get to choose what you like and, and yep. music and hobbies and this. So give us a rundown of like, like what it was that you consumed as far as media and hobby time and, and all of that goes. Well, for sure. So, you know, for me, I grew up in, you know, I, I live now in kind of a rural part of, of Michigan, north of Detroit. But, uh, you know, I grew up kind of closer to the main city and moved out this way you know, when I was in like middle school. So, you know, we I was certainly, I, I was, you know, I would say, like you said, we're kind of in the same age bracket. And, you know, back then you really couldn't, and I say this somewhat facetiously, but you couldn't really like sports and D and D, right? You kind of, you, you, <laughs> or you, you had sort to be of covert. Yeah, exactly. You kind of had to choose back then. So I, yeah. I, you know, I chose, I chose baseball. I loved baseball uh, and basketball. Kind of growing up, and I was still a nerd. Don't get me wrong. Like I, I would read. I read. You know, I was a huge like fantasy novel. I read just by the by the day almost. I was a big reader. So I read through you know hundreds and thousands probably of fantasy novels. You know, as a as a teen and tween and you know adolescent mm -hmm. kind of growing up and i remember you know, one of the first ones i ever read was the hobbit and then i yeah. i read i tried to read uh you know false of the ring but i was a little bit too young so i didn't quite get through it and i kind of went back to it as a teenager but you know I th that's kind of what i consumed you know kind of on the nerd side of things but you know, really i was a baseball you know kind of baseball hockey kid or not baseball well, i didn't play hockey but watching sports mm -hmm. but playing baseball playing basketball etc so you know but i always you know, kind of think through from an aspect of gaming and you know i grew up in a in the midwest here of the u.s so you know if you know anything about the midwest it's it's cards 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 are all the time and we would play euchre and yeah. you know poker and a game called sheep's head and uh rummy and gin and hearts and hearts yeah. and spades and you know parties you'd play you know screw your neighbor which is the you know the silly passing game and you know, all these in poker and, you know, Michigan around me and uh, exactly canasta and cribbage and all <laughs> of the it. lake. We got right, yeah. the lake. <laughs> it, it is in my mom played pinochle and, you know, that kind of thing. It was so that was like, you know, my whole life I, I played those games growing up. And that's really probably where, you know, I think it, even before I realized it, that's kind of where my love of board games would eventually spring from. And we, and we played all the classic family games, you know, mm -hmm. Monopoly and Operation and Mousetrap and you know, all those kind yeah. of American games that are, that are kind of uh, part of our childhoods. And then as we got into our teenage years and began dating in college and things, you know, we played all the word games like, you know, categories and 25 words or less and, yeah. you know, all those fun party games. And I, and I had that kind of in my, as part of our family time, you know, kind of all throughout, you know, my childhood. And, and I certainly, 
and I, and I still do. I played a lot of video games. I, I really do enjoy video games very much. You know, I, I like. I, I'm not a solo gamer. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I can't sit and play a board game by myself. It doesn't interest me. I need that interaction. You know, sort of that competition to some extent, or that you know that sort of well, personal experience that goes yeah. with playing with somebody else, right? So if I want to sit and play something, I'm going to play a video game. So I, you know, I grew up with a ta- you know, Atari, and I, I kind <laughs> of missed a lot of one button. Yeah, absolutely. You know, and I it's had long. that. And, no, 100%. And you know, my parents were. You know, we, I, I would say, you know, joke, we weren't poor, but we were certainly lower middle class or working class for sure. So I did not have <laughs> all the new systems. I didn't well, get yeah. a Nintendo. You know, I didn't get a Nintendo until way after it was the thing. And I never had a Super Nintendo or any of that other things. You know, finally, as a college kid, you know, I, I had a PlayStation, some other stuff. But, you know, it was uh, so, I, yeah, that's what I grew up on was, you know, kind of those old school, you know, playing Atari. And my, my parents did. You know, they thought it was very important that we had a computer in the house. So they bought cool. a, you know, a, like a 386, you know, when they were pretty new. And gosh, I played, you know, we're in the world's Carmen San Diego yeah. and King's Quest and, you know, those, some of those old Sierra games. All the tech space stuff. And- oh, it's some of the tech. Absolutely. It actually, you know, I think when we got a, you know, probably our first 486 is when I got to play, like I said, King's Quest and some oh, of those Sierra, the Sierra games and all those. Le- That's kind of. Leisure Suit Larry. Oh, absolutely. Of course. Yeah. <laughs> All of them. Space Quest, Legion Suit, yeah, Larry yeah. King's Quest. Yep, oh, yep. I'm having flashbacks now. This is awesome. I know. <laughs> Hi. If you like the content we're creating and the podcast episodes we're producing, please leave a happy rating on the podcast platform that you use. This would be such a great gift and would also help others find our podcast when they search for board game podcasts. And if you have the time, check out our new YouTube channel where we have new content every few days. Just search Cardboard Conjecture on YouTube. Thanks, eh? Uh, cool. So, um, uh, yeah, we, so we get to that point. Now, at, at what, where's that pivot point? Where's that sort of like... Yeah. That, that the birth of you, not necessarily you being the designer, but you going into the, it's like, what do you mean there's more types or there's different, yeah. like for, for, for me, it was that, that idea of, I mean, there's other games that don't have take that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so right. what, what was that moment for you where that clarity kind of opened up and you went, oh, this is cool. It, yeah. So it's funny. I, I have almost, I had that really classic origin story of Catan. <laughs> You know, like where, so Catan would have come out, what, 95? Yeah. Yeah, I don't remember exactly when it made it to the States, but we'll say, you know, a little bit after that, you know, Mm -hmm. probably when it really kind of got over here. And, you know, I I think the first time I played it was 2000, maybe 99, 2000, right around that neck of the woods. And I remember playing and going, okay, that was pretty cool. And never thought anything of it. And then probably seven or eight years later, I got reintroduced to it through a completely different set of friends and my brother-in-law kind of in one of his friends and we loved it. And we played, I say we, you know, kind of like my family group, my, you know, my wife and I, my parents, my sister and brother-in-law and our another buddy, but actually Ben and his wife at the time or still his wife. (laughs) But (laughs) back then it was, it was just them. They don't have have kids back then. Um, And we played Catan exclusively for like two years. Like oh, we didn't wow. know, we still didn't know those other games, you know, yeah. and 
we all bought it. We played, you know, four player. We get the expansion to play six player. I think you bought seafarers, you know, all that stuff. And then at some point, you know, what we found BGG, honestly. And, you know, we, we said, oh, this is cool. So we began looking. So we, start, we started buying, <laughs> like, the, you know, okay, well, it's BG, the best game is Puerto Rico. Let's buy Puerto Rico. Yeah. You know, and the best game is Dominion or Power Grid or all these, you know, we just started buying games yeah. off of the list, right? And then slowly that was, you know, that's we did that for a few years where we played so much Power Grid and so much Puerto Rico and, again, even Dominion and, and then Race for the Galaxy. Yeah. yeah, Race for the Galaxy and all these awesome games. And that's really kind of what got us into, you know, kind of the hobby board games that was just that sort of slow evolution. You know, and we've been playing, you know, my my girls are the oldest in our family, kind of in our crew. Mm-hmm. You know, they're 16, 16 and 17 now, juniors and seniors. So we, you know, we're the ones dragging the, you know, the car carrier around with the babies in them, <laughs> you know, and everybody else didn't have kids yet. We've been playing. Rocking with one hand and holding your Exactly. You're right. A hundred percent, you know, <laughs> sleeping and packing. Yep. Doing the pack and plays and all that kind of thing. And, you know, we had been playing poker, you know, primarily the guys, frankly. I mean, you yeah. know, with the, some of the uh, wives would play, some of them wouldn't. But for, you know, several years prior to us finding board games, and that was a really great transition for us because as we began to have kids, it was less about, you know, hanging out with the guys as it was getting together as couples. And, you know, again, there's nothing specifically exclusive about poker, but for whatever reason, it just didn't have so much interest where board games really kind of drew everybody in. And that's kind of what we still do, you know, geez. 15 nice. years later, you know, we'll, when we get together, we'll play games. We'll, you know. Well, and I think that's the beauty of this hobby is that it it's not static. It, right. It, yep. It's, exactly. It's so dynamic. Now, Kay, you mentioned your background. I mean, your yeah. en- engineer, uh, um, uh, mechanical, civil. Yeah, I, I'm mechanical by trade. Okay. So, so right away in my brain is like, oh, you're, you're, you're like, you're, you're operating on an Excel spreadsheet most of the time, as far as like <laughs> how you, how you're processing and coding information or at mm-hmm. least receiving information. Cause I'm, I think I'm from the other side of the brain in the humanities where I'm big on like psychology and, and of mm-hmm. course being an educator, um, like how kids learn, how the methods we teach and, and yep. how to like, how to tie that in and go, how, uh, like, how do, what do, what tools do, do I use to assess? Right. So, right. At what point did your engineer brain look at all of this fun stuff and 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 slowly see slowly see see the blueprint like the beautiful mind? At what point did you slowly see the patterns developing that, that were at least recognizable for you to go, oh well, if I just move this here and move that here, then hey, wait, I got a different get. Ooh, right, yeah, no, that that's actually an excellent way to put it because it really started when you know we began playing with our, our you know ben and i began playing games with our work friends who are all engineers <laughs> and you know we would sit there and we'd, we'd play a game and, and i'm not saying this like we would say the game was bad but we would we would evaluate it right we well, would assess absolutely. it we would talk, right we would talk about it we would you know break it down and we say okay i like this i didn't like the that flaws, and, right yeah yeah exactly and, you're and not to be you're being, malicious it was like right this needs fine tuning Exactly. And you'd be critical to some extent. Yeah. And it's funny, the game that I remember distinctly that really probably led to Fleet, honestly, and Fleet was 100% Ben coming to me at work going, all right, yeah, I've known Ben. So by the way, Ben Pinchback is my design partner. We've designed every game I've ever done has been with Ben. We also have a new partner, Adam, who we work with now. But since day one, we've only ever designed together, never mm-hmm. separately, just the two of us, sometimes with a third person, but always the two of us. Lennon McCartney. Him, yeah. Yep. Yeah. He came and said, Hey, we're going to design a game. It's 
We don't know what it's called yet, but whatever. But cool, and that turned into Fleet. But before that, the game that really, I think, inspired that, honestly, and it's a fantastic game, so please don't make it... I'm not making it sound like I could have done any better, was Race for the Galaxy. And we would play Race for the Galaxy, especially the first edition, and we would just talk about over and over again, okay, here's what I like, here's what I didn't like, here's what I do differently, this, this, and this. And a lot of it came down to you know the fact that you'd be building an engine in that game, but you couldn't always get to the cards you wanted, right? So like we always joked around that if you're going all military, but then you didn't get Emperor Palpatine, you couldn't win because Emperor Palpatine doubles all your military points, whatever, you know. And, you know, we said, wow, I wish there was a way that you had a little more control, which I think, you know, Tom Lehman would tell you, do the plus five draw powers, yeah. and I, I, and that's fine. Again, yeah. fantastic game. Not at all, you know, dismissed, not at all, you know, making saying it's a bad game. But we would, you know, critically think through what was happening in that game and what we wanted it to do potentially differently or what we might do differently. And that's really kind of what led to to Fleet. And then once you've done, you know, once, you begun, once you begin designing, you, it does change the way you look at games. Oh, right, yeah. wrong or, right, wrong, or indifferent. You know, you begin to see the pieces, the blueprint, the structure, yeah. you know, quicker and easier. Yeah, and sometimes that's good, sometimes that's bad. Yeah. I think sometimes it takes a little bit of the fun out of it, you know, sometimes <laughs> because you can't help but see the pieces. So sometimes you lose sight of the whole, you know, yeah. some, you lose sight of the pretty picture to take to break down the little, you know, the the cogs, the pieces inside. But but still, it, it's you know, it's been, it, it's great. I mean, we that was kind of the initial sort of you know what brought us towards that design. It was the direction. muse, right? It it was yeah yep, yeah yeah because because like you said, it wasn't it, there was no attacking the game, but it I've heard that that game has such an open architecture where you mm-hmm. can. Just look at one angle of it and go. There's there's something unique here as mm-hmm. well. Or just have that game be a launching point because um, you're absolutely right. It is. I think if as far as like a framework goes, there's just so much there. Yep, it, it really is, and it's probably one of the first. I think the reason it's so uh, well loved still is that you know there's a lot of games that do that sort of you know, we'll say, like you said, framework structure with cards where there's a giant pile of cards and they all interact and you're going to build something out of these cards. And it's going to be different every time. Think about, you know, Terraforming Mars and <laughs> some of these other, you know, games that really took that that structure of Race for the Galaxy. Now, not the gameplay structure, but the idea that you would have this huge pile of cards that would just begin interacting. And, and that was sort of what drove, you know, the, the game and, and there's a lot of other games that I think have built off of that that kind of structure to some extent. You know, again, again, a game like Terraforming Mars that's you know it has this huge board. There's all these yeah. other things going on, but at the core of the game, you're you're mining. You're you're we I always call it combo mining, right? You're you're mining a deck of cards, looking for things that work together, and, and that's it's fun. It's it's it, you know it's I don't always it's not my favorite mechanic honestly because I get frustrated more than I get more than I get fun, but I appreciate. It, it has a mechanic still and understand why it's you know popular and why folks love it so much. Well, let's, I mean, let's use, I'm looking at my notes. Let's use this at a perfect yeah. transition because one part that I love the most is uh, doing the old uh, uh, gameography. Uh, it's just mm-hmm. like anybody who's got a favorite uh, a music artist will always go back and go, Oh, this was a good year or this was a good mm-hmm. year. Or I liked when the, I liked when, when, you know, a lot of the times you'll see, Hear Pink Floyd going, oh, I, I, you know, fi- the final cut was better than you know the wall. Just, just everybody has their favorite, 
kind of moment time. And so, mm-hmm. yeah, let's go back and do some dis- discography or some uh, some board cardboardography. <laughs> and uh, you already mentioned Fleet. Do you, so let's. Do you want to add anything more to Fleet? Because um, it was also a Kickstarter, wasn't it? This was your first foray. It, it was. So what's interesting with Fleet is that we, you know, that was because it was our first design, and because we'd never designed a game before. We knew nothing about the game industry. It was all brand new. Like I said, it was it was literally Ben coming to me one morning at work and saying, we're going to design a game. Here's what I have so far. And what he had so far was the idea that, you know, multi-use cards and the idea that the licenses in Fleet, which ultimately became, you know, the, the boat licenses or the fishing licenses, you know, were, the, were like the equivalent of the six cards in Race for the Galaxy. They were the ones that would drive your, your points in your engine. They're the ones that would help you generate more cards, help you generate more points, et cetera. So he had, and that was going to be an auction. Those were the two core ideas that he already had, you know, when he came and talked to me. And then we, you know, we talked about it at work, went to lunch that day, I think Taco Bell for the 800th time in a row. <laughs> and then, you know, we would do, you know, we started hacking at it. It took us, boy, almost two years probably, really, 2010 to 2012 to design Fleet. And when we got done, you know, we didn't know what to do, really. You know, we yeah. had... We had certainly played a lot of games, and I, we began to do research and look at, look into publishers and look at websites and look up, you know, how to do. Um, that's, that's this is 2012. This is early in the industry. I mean, this oh, is when I much. started. This is I'm laughing because this is about when I started going. What there's more games than Risk, <laughs> right? Yeah. No, absolutely. Yeah. You know, and we we had probably we probably finished the game sometime in 2011 you know, end of yeah. early 2012 and then just went, what do we do now? And we be, you know, so I finally found submission forms and I you know, just through Google and I found a designer's forum and I found, you know, I was, I was probably on BGG, but I had never posted or anything. So, yeah. you know, I began to kind of do that a little more seriously. And, you know, we reached out to probably a half a dozen publishers. And you know, what's funny is almost three of them, which I know now is pretty good. Like three of them got back to us. One of them immediately passed, but actually responded. Yeah. And then two more were interested. One overseas, and one was Eagle Griffin. And uh, you know, we didn't know what Kickstarter was. That was not a thing that we'd heard of mm-hmm. at this point. And Eagle Griffin kind of said, well, "Here's what we're going to do. You know, we're going to do Kickstarter. Here's why. You know, here's what. You know, here's what it means to you. And then we're going to go from there. And we're like, sure, whatever. You know. <laughs> so we we our first prototype was literally, you know, decks of playing cards with pieces of paper hand taped on the playing cards. And it just said like shrimp and then like $2, you know, and like three, three VP or whatever. And it was just white paper printed out on a printer, cut into little boxes and taped onto bicycle cards. Engineers working with data. Exactly. And that's what we sent the publisher, not even realizing like how terrible that is. I mean, you don't need full art on a proto, yeah, but yeah. You, you need more than we did usually. <laughs> but this you know, is early but, on though, right? I mean, give yourself yeah, credit. Yeah, exactly. We didn't know. And, and it was luckily the game kind of shown through that and, you know, they signed it and said, we're going to kickstart it, et cetera. And that, that was all, that was great. I mean, fleet, you know, allows us to, is really, is why we're here today. I mean, it, yeah. it's success. I mean, at the time, I think it made 30,000 on Kickstarter. And that was like top 10 of all time board games at the time. Not for very long. It did last uh, yeah. long. But, you know, when it was successful, it was successful, you know, at, at a level that was very good. And it, 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 its success led to allowing us to continue. It gave us the, 
know, a couple things, right? It gave us, yeah. you know, a path of Eagle Griffin to keep doing more games with them. It gave us confidence as designers. It gave us, you know, the beginning of building a, you know, a brand or a name as designers. So it really, I mean, it's responsible for, you know, geez, almost 10 years later now, why we're still doing this, you cool. know, so. Well, let's, uh, let's look at 2014 because it's kind of shouldered into what we're going here because that's when you yeah. put out Arctic Bounty where, where you thought, hey, more cards. Yep. And it, I believe it, this is where you added uh, uh, a, a solo ability, I think. Yeah. We did. Yeah. So that was Thank the first you. time. Yeah, for sure. So Arctic Bounty which was an expansion. And to your point, it was exactly that. It was just more cards. And we did it in a way that basically keeps the core game of Fleet the same. But you can you can swap cards out, right? So you you take you take shrimp out, you take cod out, but you put you know char in and you put mm-hmm. you know salmon in or whatever. Which and, is great variability. I love it. Yeah, it is. Yeah, it was really fun, and it was a great expansion. You know, it, it did a couple things. We it allowed us to add the gone fishing card, which you know is probably necessary for the game. Which is basically where if you pass on an auction without taking a card you get a little bonus mm-hmm. uh, because you know fleet while being you know, a, great, a great game can be real tight and if you fall be- you fall behind you fall behind and it's hard to catch up so yeah. you know it, it let us put a little bit of flexibility into the game you know for players especially newer players and then you know again it was just variability and we added solo mode we you know put together solo captains that you worked against and that was our you know our first foray into solo gaming, which we really didn't get back to until uh, Fleet the Dice game, geez, almost five years later, you know, and all of our rolling rights now have solo modes, but mm-hmm. you know, that was our first kind of foray into, you know, into solo modes. So, I mean, it's funny because, you know, our, you know, our pace, right? So Fleet was 2012 and that took us a while to design Arctic Bounty and Eggs and Empires came out that year as well, which is a small box card game, a very fun kind of light, easy game. I was just gonna game. say, yeah, I've not heard of this one. Tell me about this. It's basically, if you're familiar with For Sale. Yes, of course. Yeah. Okay. So that was me saying to Ben, what if we play the second half of For Sale, but the cards have powers on them? Ooh. And he's like, let's try that. So we literally, it's just blind bidding. It's very simple. You know, everyone's got a match. Everyone has a matching deck. One through. Everybody has one through 10. But there's rule breakers. But there's rule. Exactly. But there's rule breakers. That's it. It's that simple. I mean, honestly. Very easy game, very fun. Probably our most approachable game. Um, and it was one of those things where I think we probably could have done a little bit more with it if we were, you know, um, had a better theme, you know, maybe in a, a little bit more, uh, you know, modern touches, right? If we went back and redesigned it today, you know, we'd probably do something, a few things a little differently. Yeah. But it's a great game. But it's I a mean, great little filler game. It is what it is because of the time period because of the experience because of, exactly right it, it couldn't be anything else but that because of this progression because i mean let's move to uh 2015 floating market mm-hmm. um that one when i was doing my homework that one caught me off guard i i thought i knew a lot most of your repertoire but this one i mean the the first of all the cover floating market right away uh, I, i'm i'm seeing a uh, uh resource exchange possibly game tell me about it yeah, so Floating Market was interesting because it was a game that was very successful on Kickstarter and had, frankly, very little uh, life afterwards, which is okay. Uh, it kind of met its market on Kickstarter, and that was about it. But it was it really gambling. It was kind of, you know, Ben wanted to do roulette, and what it is is it's it's polyhedral dice. Mm-hmm. So you you put these boats around. The boats all carry different kinds of fruits, 
and there's worker placement spots all around the board. And all you're really doing is mitigating dice because each turn you're going to put a meeple out to claim a power or claim a boat because each boat has a number range like zero to 10, yeah. 10 to 30, 30 to 50, whatever they might be. They're, they're much smaller ranges than that, like zero to seven, eight to 12, you know, 13 to 15, 13 to 16, whatever the ranges are. Yeah. And then you add a polyhedral die to the pool and you've got a D four, a D six, a D 10 and a D 12. And so you're, you're really just adding a potential role or potential value, and you have, you have negative D6 as well. So uh-huh. you're saying, okay, I'm going to put, I'm going to bid on a low number, and I'm going to add my negative die or my D4 because I want it to be a low roll because at the end of the round, whatever's in this big pool of dice, you pick them all up and you splash them, and then you just count. You say whatever, <laughs> whatever the total value of this giant die roll is, that's the boat, and there's the boats go in a circle. That's the boat that pays out. So whoever's on that boat gets that fruit, and it's just a race. It's a race to get four different four different kinds of fruits over oh, the course cool. of you know over the course of the game. So it's it's you know super simple. It's you know very easy to teach. It's one of our ones that you know I think probably you know I think you know again we would definitely do a few things differently in mm-hmm. with modern eyes. But at the time, it really I mean it did well. It was a a very successful Kickstarter. It it was relatively well received by folks. It was kind of different and fun. You know we. We, we've done a lot of that over our careers. We try very hard not to make the same game twice. Well, yeah, you know, we, yeah. You know, we, we try to do different things. And that was one of our first times where probably that was our first kind of bigger box game you know, where it came in like a, a Euro size box with, you know, some punch outs and some nice chunky dice. And it was it was a lot of fun. It was it was sort of uh, a, sort of the adolescence of your uh, game design. Get a little bit yeah. bigger. <laughs> yep. Yep. Um, uh, let's let's move. I mean. Uh, 2015 as well. Fleet Wharf side. Um, uh, you want to you want to quickly touch on that one? I mean, yeah, really quick. The free, fleet realm. So it, it is. So basically, Eagle Griffin had this line of games, which was actually Eggs and Empires was the first one. They called it their EGG series, their Egg series, and it was the same small box. And we had designed this card game that we really liked, and it was really all based around this kind of same this one little this one mechanic of like drawing between different two different cues and kind of we'll say contact fulfillment but really the idea was that you had these powers in front of you and they were also points but they weren't points until you fulfilled the contract mm-hmm. but once you fulfilled the contract you lost the power so that was kind of the whole push and pull right so you took contracts out of this queue and then they were helping you play but then once you fulfilled it to get points you had to, you lost that power and now you were back to kind of basics and you had to kind of do the whole thing again so it was a really quick little game. You know, we put it in the fleet universe because it was it kind of made sense thematically, and we you know, we wanted to kind of use that that EGG line. And it was a it's a fun little game. We had a, a solo mode designed by Mike Mullins, who does a lot of solo modes now. And you know, it was actually a game that people really enjoyed. And uh, you know, it's one of those ones that people kind of find after yeah. the fact and go, yeah. "Oh, that's a pretty good little game." Yeah, that's uh, that's exactly. You just described how I fumbled into it and it was like, "Hey." Well, I like Fleetwell, and and you know, I thought, oh, is this an expansion? Read the back. Well, I'm going to pick this up, and yeah, it is. It, it's exactly what you described. It's a fun little game. Um, uh, yeah, let's look at uh, 2016 Morocco. Yeah, so Morocco is actually on BGA now, Board Game Arena, and which is pretty exciting. Yeah. it's very, it's very much our our love letter to Kinesia. Like it's it's a couple of simple rules. You do 
the same thing over and over again. <laughs> and, you know, 80 minutes later, somebody wins. And it's all very much player interaction. You know, it's kind of like we call it double area control where you're you're fighting over, you know, these zones. But then within the zone, you're also trying to be the one that gets majority because you get to put your tile out and you get to collect bonuses. But then you get a reward for being second because if you're in second place, you get this a bigger worker and some coins mm-hmm. to help you do other things. And it's just it's got a really nice push or pull. It's a very dry soulless you know kind of <laughs> abstract experience but that's what we wanted that's what we set out to do and it's a fun game and it's funny because 2016 you know was one of our bigger years as far as releases but you know i, I would say you know back in the future uh I'll, you know that's that's kind of our next yeah, yeah, year throw these out because yeah well 2016 morocco back to the future and adventure through time the goonies adventure card game and cow tiger santa claus all yeah, 2016. so wow. all 2016, and and I would say that, you know, uh, Morocco, you know, was not super successful, <laughs> if I can be honest. Uh, again, it did okay on Kickstarter. It, it still sells a little bit here and there. People do, you know, some folks really do like it, but you know, it didn't it didn't uh, break any records. And then Back to the Future was our first attempt to do a an IP game, and I would say it's a pretty solid game. But what we did very, very wrong, if I'm being 100% honest and objective, is that it's not a Back to the Future game. It's a card game, you know, that that works, but it's a little too tight, and I would say it's not thematic enough, and it's probably not what people that bought a box that says Back to the Future on it were looking for when they played the game. And I think because of that, you know, I think it's rated, you know, very appropriately in the sense that it just it wasn't we didn't meet expectations, and we learned a lot, frankly, was- to go to go into go ahead. I was going to say that's uh, I always have that as one of my questions in the background is is uh, what what experience did you pull from this? Because a lot of the yeah. times you can't crank home runs, right? No, they can't all be astronauts, you know, and <laughs> so, you know, with that one, we just we really learned that, especially when you're working with IPs, that you have to just, you know, you've got to do you're going to have a, a preset set of expectations that players are going to have when they pick up their box. And you and we did not meet those with Back to the Future. You know, and I think the Goonies, we did a much better job of doing that. Now, that game had all sorts of other issues <laughs> with yeah. the publisher and the rights and the distribution. And, you know, they that there's some bankruptcy going on. And that was, you know, but it honestly sold pretty well um, in the grand scheme of things. But despite all of that, you know, we just never got paid. But um, to be <laughs> honest, but that's all right. And, uh, you know, but it was one of the things where, you know, we when we got back into doing you know, IP work, which we've done a few times since then, you know, we just, we really, really learned our lesson, especially in Back to the Future, to make sure that we did our research, that we could understand who the audience was for a game before we, you know, kind of embarked on the design so that when folks pick that up, wherever they bought it, right, whether it be a con or Target or wherever it might be, that, you know, their expectations would be met in a way that was consistent with the theme. I think um, my uh, a good uh, understanding for me and maybe another example is because uh, I have a background working with uh, rock bands and touring bands. Yeah. And it's that whole idea of, of that nostalgia, right? Because the IP is all about a fan of this. And what I remember hearing all these bands I've toured with just before going on is like, play the hits, give the, give the audience what they paid for, what they expect. And then in the back, after they all fired up, then we can give them what our new stuff is, right? But they're right. here to hear the hits, give yep. them what they want, right? A hundred percent. Yeah. 
That, and that's, no. that's such a, sometimes that's a hard lesson to learn though, right? It, it can be because, you know, you don't, <laughs> you know, no one sets out to make a, you know, we'll say a quote unquote bad game or anything like that, right? No one, you know, you, you always want to make the best possible game that you can make. Yeah. But it's just a matter to exactly to your point, keeping in mind what people want and then also making it, you know, because at the time, you know, our designs were, you know, pretty, you know, we had some thinky card games and things like that. And that's kind of what we did with Back to the Future, but it really, you know, and, and they wanted a card game, but I don't think they wanted the card game that we made them. <laughs> you know, I think it was, uh, you know, whatever. But we, again, we definitely have, you know, it was a great experience still. You know, it was, uh, you know, fun to work on a project like that. This episode is supported by the incredible team at Breakout Escape and Board Game Lounge here in Saskatoon. Using industry-leading technology, Breakout Escape escape rooms are all 100% uniquely designed by the team to ensure their patrons have maximum fun while staying safe. As well, they are a fully licensed board game lounge with over 400 titles to select from to ensure fun for every gamer, new and experienced. Be sure to check them out at BreakoutSask.com. At Breakout Escapes and Board Game Lounge, they believe that life is more fun when you play games. Well, and you hit the word fun because I'm looking at this next one. I quickly want to touch on Cow Tiger Santa Claus. I mean, how much more silly? I mean, I don't, I don't even know anything about it. And I, I la- I'm laughing because it's like, I want to know how all these correlations, where does that Venn diagram fit where yes. this game has those topics? Very, that's a great point. That's exactly what the game is. Crouching Tiger, Hidden Santa Claus. Yeah. <laughs> so it, it's literally I Spy. It's a travel game. And we did, we did that one with Button Shy. And Button Shy is this great company. I don't know if you're familiar with them. Yeah. yeah. And they do these 16 card card games. He's got a great model, you know, Jason does. And, and they're fantastic games. Yeah. And that one is literally you put it in your car and you shuffle three different decks. There's each, you know, like say three decks of five or six cards each. You shuffle them up, and you or 18 card game, so three decks of six, and you draw three cards. Hard, you know, easy, medium, hard. Card one might be so. Cow one is cow. Card two is tiger. Card three is Santa Claus. That's where the name came from. But it could be you know porta potty, helicopter, fire engine. You know, and yeah. you're just playing I Spy while you drive around. You know, with with your whoever else is in the car. So you you just announce the three things that got drawn, <laughs> and it's just a race. You know, once somebody spots. You know, if you spot a cow, no one else can have like that. Like a visual you know. scavenger hunt kind of thing. It's, yep, you're playing I Spy. Yeah. That's exactly what it is. That's all yeah. it is. Silly little travel game. You know, but it, it just, it's something that Ben had been. I'm just kind of, smiling as you're describing. Yeah, it, it, it's great. It's just a blast in the car because, yeah, this, this is like a parent, I, this is a stocking stuffer. I mean, at the it hospitals is. for new parents, but like, okay, when they're, when, yeah. <laughs> when they're bugging you, here you go, here you go. Yeah. Yeah, it's a super easy. It's just it's just a fun little you know fun little travel thing. Awesome. Um, uh, let's jump into. Oh, I've yet to play this game. I, yeah. And I cry in 2017, uh, and I cry because I. It's just to me, it's like it's like Mad Max pickup delivery game, and I'm talking about Wasteland Express delivery service. Yep. Yeah, that Talk was our first. Me. That was our first game that we designed with a third person. So we, you know, are, are somewhat local to John Gilmore. So he's mm-hmm. a friend, you know, over the years. And John, you know, dead winner, all these great games he's yeah. designed. And we had this game called Space Vikings. Space Vikings! <laughs> and we would literally say it like, Space Vikings! And like, you know, kind of like a silly, 
like this silly kind of 80s, 90s, you know, sort of. Yeah, exactly. This idea that like you were Vikings and you'd been banished to space. You're like flying around space, like in those bikes. Crush your head. Right. And you're (laughs) flying around space in the ships, like, but you're rowing through, (laughs) you know, like, like you're rowing in space. It was, it was so dumb, you know, but the game was very much a, you know, just this pick up and deliver. And it was, you know, but you were actually moving things across the board, right? So you were going from zone to zone and, and we had this whole market system that was really actually that and it all made it into wasteland, but different theme. Um, you know, and we had this market system where basically all things that are on the were the board would set the market, and when one of them was picked up, it would, you know, be delivered to the value that the market had currently been at, but then it would re- it would it would reduce because that demand has been met. So then you would reveal something else and that market would change. And it's this very clever little market system. You know, and a pick up a delivery game, and, and we had that, and we didn't know what to do with it. Honestly, we we hadn't tried to sell it. We didn't really know where it was at. And then we were talking to John one day, and he's like, "Yeah, I'll, I'll take a look at it." So we started meeting John. He was about an hour and a half away. We met in the middle, like probably seven or eight dozen times. You know, seven or eight to mm-hmm. a dozen, not seven dozen uh, <laughs> times. And we just worked on it. And he's like, "All right, so first of all, this game is about trucking in the wasteland." It's like Mad Max. I'm like, okay, done. Fine, you're right. And we did that. And then he just, you know, he brought a lot of his Gilmore awesomeness to it and you know, with the theme. And he had a bunch of ideas gameplay-wise that made a big difference. And that was it. We just, you know, we, we had it. And after you know, a couple of months working with John, it was done. And we sold it to Pandasaurus. And it was probably, it was our first, you know, real big box, like, convention hit, right? Like, yeah. where we were at the booth, people, people like, ran to the booth make sure they got a copy, you know, at the Gen Con that it released and, you know, people wanted us to sign all that kind of like it was our yeah. first experience with that, which is really cool. Your first Rockstar game. Yeah, it, really exactly that, you know, and it, it, it sold like bonkers. And, and, I, and I'll be honest, I don't think anyone would mind me saying this. And then it fell off a cliff. <laughs> like it sold like hotcakes and then it stopped. And I mean, dead stop. That's just what games do most that's, of the time. I was going to say, that's, this is that era, that, that time span of, of, of ho- the hotness. Yep. Right. Yep. Um, I want to back up a question because I've had a question yeah. this whole time. Um, and, and you, you presented a, a moment for its, its perfection. Um, and I was going to ask you, uh, do you and Ben approach, and I obviously from what I'm hearing, you approach games from the engineer side, the mechanics side first. And John, from his background, he's very thematic. So mm-hmm. to me, this, this was like a chocolate and peanut butter moment, right? It was. I mean, so we have certainly designed our fair share of games, you know, we'll say thematically first, but even then we, our approach, even when we're, even when it's theme first is we're designing around a theme that we've decided that we want to do, but that's not the same thing as say simulating or emulating a thematic experience, which Mm -hmm. John is super good at, you know? And yeah, for a game like Wasteland Express, it needed that, right? It, It didn't need to be, a you know a pickup and deliver euro it needed to be thematic it needed to have raider trucks and events and you know combat and all these yeah. cool things that you know that we kind of put in as we worked on it with john so it, it was fantastic so I once mean, he, he once he put that in did, yeah. did was there a lot of clarity and a lot of sort of like oh then we could do this oh and then we could mm-hmm. do that 100 percent. i mean that's the way you know game designs grow right yeah, is yeah. you you add kind of one thing and then it's like oh now that we're doing this you can do this and we can do these raiders and we can do these enclaves and we can do these missions. And, and, you know, I think the one thing that he probably did that was the most, you know, I would say game changing for that design was the idea of the way that you win 
instead of points-based was like this kind of race to these objectives, you know, and I love it. You know, it's, it's, it, you know, it basically is the first one to complete the three objectives, but you're all doing the same things. And it's not a race in a classic sense where you, yeah. you feel the pressure of a race, but it's a race in the sense that, you know, everyone's working towards these goals and you're just trying to get them done. And then boom, somebody's got it and they yeah. win, you know, and they, it's, it's just, it's a lot of fun, you know, to do that. It, it, it took away, you know, so the gameplay didn't change. Like you're doing the same cool mechanical things that we wanted you to do, but it took away, you know, counting points and some of the other things that maybe, you know, the game didn't need, you know, to be in that setting. Now I haven't played it, but you're, to me, you're describing what I like about a lot of other games where the, the game's progressing and you're like, Oh man, we're like, we're like 70 minutes into this. This is going to pop pretty quick. And you have no idea right? who, who or when, is going to make this thing pop, right? Yep. It's, that, it's that whole who exactly. flinches first, who flinches first. Yeah. And it's one of those things where like, you could be playing it, like you said, for a while, then all of a sudden, like, you know, everyone's got one point. And all of a sudden, <laughs> boom, 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 boom. And it's like, you know, three to two to two to one or three to three to two to, you know, I mean, it's just, it happens like that, you know? Cool. Um, uh, yes. I can't wait to, to actually experience this. So hopefully something will, so, so hopefully I'll, uh, I'll uh, go on, uh, like I like to call it a, plaid unicorn hunt and try to find me a copy yeah. <laughs> um let's go into um 2017 now um usually when i'm when i when i have a designer on i always like to find out you know they have a penchant for this or they and you guys are definitely about the card games and you told me early on that it's because of you growing up that was all mm-hmm. about the card games so ladder 29 and i'm going to go 2017 and 2018 together yeah. ladder 29 and and peep months yes yeah, so ladder 29 was very much a a game that we played in college called we called it nook like n-o-o-k or n-u-k i'm not it has a lot of names um big two uh, i think is a name and it's it's the one that we the version that we played was a vietnamese version and it was a ladder climbing game, you know, where you would play a single card. And if I played a three, you had to play a four. And if I played a pair of twos, you had to play a pair of threes, you know, and the, you, know, you had to, it just went clockwise yeah. and there was no teams. It, you know, it, it has that, you know, tissue feel, but no teams. It's individual. Everyone's playing for themselves. First one to get rid of their cards, you know, wins the round. And it, it, it was set up to be like a gambling game where you could each basically had a, you know, a pile of quarters in front of you and, that you'd pay everyone would pay the winner a quarter and then you would just you know keep but really what it comes down to is you would play you know first and second place like two points one point negative one negative two and you could play it's funny because you could play for hours and end up at like zero 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 like it was you know but it, it, it's we played it endlessly in college and again the whole point really is again classic ladder climbing yeah a couple of small twists like you know twos are high because we say so whatever because that's how <laughs> that's how that's how we were taught doesn't make any sense. It could have been aces. Who knows? And then that's, you know, there's a few other small rules, but that was it. And we played it all the time. So we really wanted to revisit that as designers. And the whole gimmick of Ladder 29 is that it's that classic ladder climbing or, you know, shedding game, whatever you want to call it, mm-hmm. you know, but it has just one little rule. And that rule is that you, you know, you draft a, uh, you know, they're called hotspot cards in the game, but you know, you draft a, a, a rule that only applies to you. And that rule gets in your way. Things like you can only play blue cards. You know, you can only play even number blue cards. Or you can only play 
you know, runs that end in an even number or have to beat the previous play cards by two or can't yeah. play pairs or can only play singles. And there are these just little rules and that that rule has your points on it. So if you win, you get points based on the rule you selected. So a harder the rule, the more points that you might get. And that and that's, you know, otherwise you're playing a shedding game like you played a million, a ladder climbing game like you played a hundred times, you know, oh. and they're, but it's just that one little twist was enough to make it its own thing. And that's why Ladder 29 might be, you know, my favorite of our designs okay. simply because I, because I, I love the original game still. And I, you know, I'll play it anytime that I can. And it's funny because Pete Mott's was one of our, moving on to Pete Mott's, our other yeah. card game from that year. You know, that was probably one of the first games where it was very much, you know, theme first where Ben, you know, he, he looking out his kitchen okay. window, had a bird feeder and said, I want to make a game about a bird feeder. We're like, sure. And we have been playing, you know, a ton of Arboretum and Parade. To I was, that's excellent. the game that was ties me into the whole difficulty of your decision making. I've yep. always said Peep Mots has that same anxiety that I yep. have when I play um, Arboretum. Thank you so much for Yeah. Me. I'm not crazy. <laughs> no, no, no. 100%. I mean, I, Arboretum is one of my favorite card games. Oh, I, and I, it's I great. I love those decisions. Yeah. It, it, you painful. know, they are. They totally are. And, and it has, you know, a few simple things that you do. Now, Arboretum has some, we call them that rules or things you just have to remember. They're kind yeah. of just weird rules, but yeah. you figure it out. And, you know, we, we had been playing a lot of those games. We really loved them and we wanted to make, and there aren't a lot of them by being, there aren't a lot of those, you know, when I say heavy card games, what I mean is, you know, a numbers on like not getting into things like fleet where there's like words and powers and rules, like, but just a classic game with just a number in the corner. That's all that really matters is the number in the corner. And that's, you know, we call them, you know, numbers on cards yeah. and our cards with numbers, whatever you want to call it. And, you know, the Arboretum was one of the first ones that I can remember that took that to the, like a, we'll say the next level and then it got more complicated and, you know, more stressful to some extent. <laughs> and we just, and I loved it and Ben loved it. So we, when we set out to make Pete Moss, we wanted to kind of fit a game into that class. And, you know, Ben had this idea of this bird feeder kind of shape that you put in the middle of the table. And then at that, it was really just designing a card game. And Pete Moss was our first attempt to really kind of move into that space. And, you know, it's done, you know, super, it's, it's one of those games where I think it sold more the second year than the first year. Like it, it just yeah. built, you know, it's never been, a, it's not, it, it's just always sold. You know, that was a, a German game with lookout and they just, it always it's moves solid. and it's, it, yeah. it's just a good game, yeah. you know, and, and people find it and they like it and, it's super happy. I love that game. Peabots is fantastic. I mean, we that one has been really – it was our first game, too, that we sold to Germany that yeah. went to Germany first and then came this way. So that was kind of exciting for us. Nice. Nice. Um, uh, 2018, yeah. uh, Fleet the Dice game, uh, thank you so much. And I'm ha guessing that you have some Yahtzee in your background as a child. Of course. <laughs> Who doesn't? <laughs> exactly. You know. So, yeah, I, I kick-started this one and uh, – uh, uh, I think I've got the seal inside the fir first thousand. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. That little yeah. card it's we our, signed. Oh, yeah. It's sort of like having, and I, if, I, if I look hard enough, I could find it, um, the uh, Kiss Army seal. Of, yeah. Uh, yeah, I think I've got that <laughs> sticker somewhere in one of my boxes that the kids aren't allowed to touch. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so this was a, a riff on, on the one, you know, dance with the one that brought you kind of thing. It was very much that. So, you know, Ben and I had been playing Roll and Rights because they began to get popular probably 2017. And some of them are really fun. I love, you know, Gonshan Clever. Of course, that wasn't mm -hmm. out yet. But, you know, looking back, 
you know, Gunshot Clever came out around the same time as Fleet the Dice game did, well, just before. Yeah. I hadn't played that. We had not played that when we played Fleet, but when we designed Fleet, but we had played like um, Roll Through the Ages. I love. Oh, Roll Through yeah, the Ages, yeah. exactly. Great game, and uh, I can't, I'm drawing a blank here, but the one by the Brands. It's a fun game. Um, um, oh, I'm stalling now. Knock Mall, Knock Mall. Yes. Yep, and uh, Quicks, and a few of those other ones. Yeah. So you know, but we hadn't really seen you know that kind of more complicated idea where you take a roll and write, and you'd made you know, frankly, more. Yeah. And you know, I think we you know Ben had this idea of you know this whole kind of set two sheets thing, right? Where you've got your fishing boats and you've got your fish and then you've got your, your whole other sheet that has all the other stuff on it. You know, the town and the wharf yeah. and all that junk. And then, you know, it was all based on that simple dice draft where you just roll a bunch of dice, pick the one you want, mark a box. Everyone does it, leftover die, everyone gets it kind of thing. Very simple. The dice draft was very simple and fleet. Until you know, cascade. Exactly. Oh. But it triggered all of the other things that you would be doing and the bonus actions. And this power gives you something over there. And that something gives you over here. And check, 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 check. And, and that whole thing worked right off the bat. I mean, don't get me wrong. We spent lots of time mm-hmm. refining it and, 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 you know, making it a final product. But, you know, right off the bat, you know, he, he had that kind of interaction working. And that was what we're like. That was our light bulb moment where we went, wow, this is. This is neat. And we, you know, there's not a lot of new things in the world. And I'm not yeah. saying that other folks hadn't done similar things, but, you know, it was like, we haven't seen this before. This might be a little bit unique, you know, yeah. and we, we put it in the fleet universe because we had been wanting to design a fleet, the dice game for years yeah. and had just never quite done anything with it. We're like, well, what about this? We're like, sure. You know, makes sense. Thematically, that's kind of how we started. Let's do it. And you Griffin was like, yeah, let's, let's do it. So, and that's been you know, far and away our, our, our biggest hit to date, right? From a ratings perspective, sales, the whole deal. Yeah. That's been our, you know, oh, it's our, on, our most popular game. It's, it's, yeah, it's on some of my favorite lists. If we're going to talk about Fleet the Dice game, let's take mm-hmm. the opportunity and, because um, I see parallels with Three Sisters. And we're going to, yeah. we're going to, we're going to jump chron- chronologically here because Three Sisters is 2022. But yeah. when, when I started seeing the pages that you guys were producing for Three Sisters, um, me being the the, uh, the history teacher and social studies teacher, I know exactly mm-hmm. where this thematic pull's coming from. And in my head, I, I, I started to giggle going, oh, you can have fun with this. Yeah. No, I mean, it, that was intentional in the sense that we wanted to build off of Fleet the Dice game. And, and, and you know, a couple things had happened with that, right? Yeah. We decided that we're going to try this. We, we're not going to become Eagle Griffin or Asmodee. We're not going to start our own. We're not going to be yeah. you know, the next lookout games, but we wanted to do our own designs and bring them to fruition, right? We wanted to be the publisher and do the whole deal at a smaller scale, right? A yeah. boutique scale. And we said, okay, if we're going to do that, what are we going to do? And we're like, well, what if we build off a Fleet to Dice game, right? We've It's been successful. People like it. That heavy roll and write thing, we, you know, we're getting, frankly, a lot, of, a lot of credit for that. What if we build off of that model? And then do a sequel to it. So you know, three sisters, three sisters, excuse me, was intentionally a mechanical sequel to Fleet. Yeah. Uh, obviously, thematically much different. You know, that was you know that's literally Ben's backyard. <laughs> he's out. <laughs> the, he, he's out in the boonies, and you know he looks out his window. And that's what he sees. All well, the right, things that right you right about what you know, right? Exactly. And, and he, you know, he had the, and he had literally learned about that from his boys, right? The kind of the the historical. I mean, three sisters is. Literally, uh, you know, the companion planning, I should say, yeah. is something that's used today. It was used in Europe. It was used in Africa. It was used in 
or Northern Africa. It was used in, you know, the Americas everywhere. It's not, it's not specifically, um, you know, special to the indigenous folks of, of North America, yeah. but the term three sisters is, which is yeah. why we were very careful and worked very hard to make sure that we had cultural consulting and things like that, because it was important to us to make sure that we, you know, had that we wanted to make it clear that we weren't doing a game based on the indigenous peoples. We were just referencing back to this practice that has been passed down generationally for thousands of years. And it literally came from, you know, Ben's boys being at summer camp, coming home and saying, hey, we learned this cool thing today called the three sisters. And it was about the corn, the beans and the pumpkins. And, you know, Ben tried it and failed. <laughs> you know, he, uh, he said corn is hard. And, you know, oh. people don't realize people don't realize that like corn, like a stock of corn is one corn. Like it's like, you know, you don't it's not like it has like eight corns coming off of it. Yeah. Like it's one, it's not it's like one, you know, a Brussels sprout plant. <laughs> right. Yeah. Like you, you get a corn. And, you know, so it was funny because you, you know, you kind of had this, you know, but still the whole the whole vision of, you know, what we could do with the art and what we yeah. could do thematically. And, you know, you could spread out and say you could have your shed, you could have your perennial area, you could have your and he's got he has beehives. He does. He harvests honey, the whole deal. And the fact that you could do all of that, you know, in a in a roll and right setting was fantastic. And we, you know, and, he, and we did. And it was again. You know, we wanted to keep that bonus action feeling like Fleet yeah. had where you could earn the free bonuses. And we did it a little bit differently. Like Fleet kind of has this growth to it where you they get easier and then harder. Three Sisters are more uh, evenly distributed because of the way the Rondell works. It wasn't quite as, you know, it's a little bit more, mm-hmm. you know, Fleet Dice very much has a sense of it, you're almost, you know, it's, it's kind of like the making lemonade out of lemons thing. Like yeah. you just, you don't always get what you want. Sometimes the dice roll and you don't want anything. Or you you wanted you wanted cod cod didn't roll. I want tuna. I want tuna. Come exactly. on, tuna. <laughs> right, and it doesn't come. Three Sisters is a little more uh, not static. Not the right word, but you can plan ahead. Shaves because the, the, sands the edges off a little bit. Yeah, like you can see where the rondelle's yeah. going. Right, you know what's available to you. You can plan ahead a little bit because you're guaranteed to get some access to the the next couple actions. Right, so you can you can it's a little more strategic in the way that you can plan forward than fleets of dice games. So, you know, that was all very purposeful with the way that we do the dice draft in three sisters and the, you know, the leftover actions and the rondelle. So all that was, you know, all pur- very, very purposeful, which was funny because it led into, if I can quickly jump to motor city, our next, absolutely. Yeah. 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 So that's the other 2022 game, which is our, our next loaded roll and right. And that's a series of games that's loaded roll and right. Number three is, is motor city now. And we purposefully made sure that we, we broke off from that, chain right we didn't want to make fleet the dice game number three yeah. and we wanted to stick to that loaded roll and right uh family that we've been developing and that's kind of our brand for motor city Gameworks. but it was a completely different game right it, it still has free actions and it has it's combo tastic and it has bonuses and all the cool things that you're used to but does it in a in a completely mechanically new way you know and obviously like we talked about already being from detroit being engineers you know, the idea of you know, auto plants is very near and dear to our hearts. So that was the kind of, you know, thematic sort of driver behind that one. And then yeah. also, you know, we, it's the first time we worked with Adam Hill, who's now part of the Motor City Gameworks team. And he honestly was the lead designer for, for Motor City. And that was just, you know, he, he took it and ran. And then, you know, him and I did a lot of work and, you know, Ben joined in and it was a fantastic design process, but it's great because it makes a, you know, it continues the series, you know, like we talked about earlier with Tiny Epic, right? People love yeah. a series. So it continues this series of, you know, kind of heavy or we'll say strategic roll and rights, 
but does it in a way that's new from Fleet and Three Sisters. So we're really proud of that in nice. the kind of way that it turned out. Oh, right on. Um, I mean, as far as uh, the chronology, we're right up to 2022, mm-hmm. but there are two games that I want to come back to. Yeah. Like you did another jump into some IPs, but I want to talk about 2020 and 2021 Stellar and Sub-Astral. Yeah. Because I have Sub-Astral and, uh, mm-hmm. man, your guys, your guys is my, uh, my wife's an English teacher and I can feel her just wanting to hit me right now. Um, <laughs> uh, but uh, your, your interpretation of how dynamic card games can be it, it, it gobsmacks me and I can't wait to uh, get into Stellar. But uh, thank you. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. I just, yeah. So, it. no, I, I really appreciate that. We, again, like we talked about a couple times already, you know, we love card games. I love card games. I love design. You know, it's funny as designers, you know, card games are the least profitable, you know, because <laughs> yeah. they, you know, it, which is okay. We're not, you know, we, we both have jobs. We don't do this for the money. We do this because we love it, yeah. you know, but you know, you, your return, your return on investment is certainly lower with card games. You just, they, they're cheaper. You don't make their margins are lower, but we love designing them. So we always will. So Sebastral and Stellar, you know, sort of an unintentional series. Like we, we designed Stellar because we wanted to do a two player card game. You know, we, um, they just, you can do things in a two player game that you can't do in other spaces. You know, yeah. the way you interact, the way that you can kind of compare, you know, you can do some things with comparing each other's to blows, you know, to blues, to each other to figure out scoring. And, you know, you can do some things where you know, it's a little harder to do it in, in different player counts. And that's what led to Stellar. And it was this idea that, you know, originally it was going to be Lighthouses and we kind of shifted it to, you know, with once we signed it with Renegade, they kind of shifted it to the idea that you're, you know, doing stargazing because they wanted to have that, you know, that very pretty play area when you're done where you've created a you know, kind of a picture almost. Atmosphere. With the car. Yes, exactly. You look down at your your map really, and you see like everything's black. All the cards work together, and you you got all your you know celestial bodies, and you know those little science facts on the cards, and all that great stuff was all because Renegade's amazing. Yeah. And you know we you know we did it as a two player game, and it very much was like you know it again much like Pete Mott's, you know kind of slow, but then just it just kept selling, and people really liked it, and it got it was rated very well, and we kept hearing you know folks were really enjoying it. So when we had the idea of of uh, Sebastral, which was really something we had had for a while, and it all came back to, you know, I went years and years ago, probably 2015 or 16. Um, I was at a, I went out to New Jersey for a game class, or a, a professor at a at a school flew me out and said, hey, I'd love you to come talk to my class. It was a really cool experience, and I played. I'm going to say near and far, but it might have been the other one that's like near and, you know, the Ryan Lockett game. Oh, yeah. Above and below. Above and below. Might have yeah, been, I think was it was the first one. Yeah. Okay. I think it was above and below. Yeah. So, and he, you know, I played above and below with a couple of students and it wasn't my thing, frankly, you know, but it had this really neat thing where you're collecting these tokens, like pumpkins and apples and other things. Yeah. And where you collected them on your little board, on your player board, is what, affected the value of them so the first one you collected was worth one the second one you collected was worth two three four five etc so on and the more you collected of the ones farther to the right the more points they were worth i said wow that's a really neat little mechanic amongst this much yeah. larger storytelling game so i'm telling ben about this like you know the next week i said i think there's 
a card game here where you collect cards and the way you collect them, you basically are going to organize them in front of you. And as you collect them, the farther to the right they are, the more points they're worth. You know, but we need, you know, so now it's kind of the starting point of it, you know, kind of inspired by that, by Ryan Lockett's, you know, kind of mechanic in his game. Yeah. But then we did some other things where we said, okay, we need to have some rarity to the cards. You know, there's common cards and rare cards so that, you know, there's some push and pull versus where you get them. And then, then we started scoring, you know, we score your continuous sets as well as your, you know, so the way this, so that's funny because it's a very simple little play a card, take cards. Like the, the main mechanic is a classic card game kind of feel where you just like, yeah. you put a, you put a card, you put a two out, you take some cards from another spot, you, you play them in front of you. That's anybody can, anyone can do that. Anyone can be taught that. The twist, right, is is when you score, you know, and when so it's one of those games where you play it once and go, all right, hold on, let's yeah. do that again. You know, let's, let's play it again. Yeah. Right now, I know what I'm doing. Now I know. Okay, I want to get you know. So then, you know, the way that you the push and the pull between getting those those mix sets with your two biggest sets being as farthest right as possible, you know, it's just it's just fun, you know, and it works really well. And that's probably the game that if people always you know people always ask, well, well oh, I want to buy one of your games. I'm like. If you haven't played other games, we don't make a lot of games that are for new gamers. And what I mean by that is anybody's yeah. yeah, exactly. Anybody's smart enough to play any game. But it's more about a matter of it's experience, right? You get yeah. better at learning games the more you play games. And that's just the new that's true of anything. So you don't if, just you don't just step into music by listening chet, to Chet Baker. You gotta you gotta get there. You got to get right, yeah, yeah. slowly. Yeah, you don't, yeah. you don't sit up and start, you know, you got you to gotta, you gotta learn. Yeah. So I'm like, Sebastian's the game now where I'll say, oh, you want to buy one of our games? You know, look for Sebastian. You know, because yeah. it's the kind of thing where folks can play it and, you know, figure it out as they go. You're absolutely right. The, the simplicity is, is bang on, but it's that depth afterwards where you, you hit it, where every time I play with, with, with my wife who – I don't know. She's just like a beautiful mind when it comes to card mm-hmm. games. But I'll sit there and go, okay, I saw what you did. Okay, let's play again. And then right. I'll try what she did, and she'll try something different and be like, okay, I saw what you did there. Now let's <laughs> play it again, right? And I think yeah. it, that's, it's that whole idea of it's simple to play and it's tough to master. Yeah, I, I think so. And I think the, you know, frankly, especially in two players, you get a lot more sense of the interaction as you play more where you're like okay <laughs> if i put this card out boy they might want that card so if i put this card out instead and take these it i don't want to leave them in front of you is the potion in front of me and I... <laughs> exactly i don't want to put this card out because it gives them a juicy little thing they want you know and that and, and obviously at a That's higher player count, right there too yeah it is and yeah. at higher player counts it's not quite as evident because it's a little cards go a lot faster mm-hmm. but it still works i mean so oh. stellar you know the Stellar Sebastian tie-in was because we, they're both Renegades. So, you know, Stellar was in space and Sebastian is Earth. And then the third game in the series, theoretically, if we ever finish designing it, is uh, will be Ocean. So you'll be oh. space. It'll be like air, land, sea, basically, you know. And problem is we haven't designed it. <laughs> We've had a few things we started and they never quite got to where we wanted them to. But, you know, there's interest from Renegade in doing it if we ever get it done. But, you know, so it's been a lot of fun to work with them because, you know, they just... You know, they're beautiful. Both games are beautiful. Beth Sobel is ridiculous, right? Her I got an art. idea for your fourth. Yeah. Sure. Earth core. We could go underground. And all that yep. magma movement and all yep. the crust. Oh, yeah. Okay, sorry. Listen. Beth Sobel, yes. Yeah. Oh, my, gorgeous. She's like yeah. 
uh, she's like Audubon Society level art, right? She really is. I mean, she did Three Sisters, the cover for us, and she did all the art in Sebastrol. It's just, she's incredible. So yeah. she makes the game, you know, I was joking around at first, like, hey, buy Sebastrol for the art, and while you're looking at the art, play this little game, you know? And that was kind <laughs> of my, but I mean, it's just because it's so good in, in the, you know, her her biomes are, are so beautiful. Mm. So, but yeah, no, I, I, we, that's been a really fun series of games to work on. You know, I, I, you know, life being what it is, pandemic, all that other kind of stuff. And yeah. we haven't really got cracking on the uh, third one like we need to, but we'll, we'll get there. Exactly. Well, that being said, um, uh, this is a perfect time to round this out because yeah. uh, um, like we had mentioned in the earlier kind of gameography is that certain things happen at certain times because mm -hmm. that's when they were meant to happen. So this, this third game in the series, it'll, it'll happen when it's supposed to. <laughs> exactly 100 percent. we'll get to it yeah um uh, so thank you so much uh, i do want you to talk about you had briefly mentioned it uh the the new foray into publishing um you plug that um huge please yeah thank you so much yeah so motor city gameworks is uh myself and ben and our our buddy adam and this is our just like we said okay we want to do this ourselves you know for, yeah. for a variety of reasons but not because again not because we want to run you know, a, a large publishing company because we want to do our own thing and really just, you know, kind of have control and, and do it a few times. You want to make so, your own muscle car in your own garage. Exactly. And we want it to be our, <laughs> our, our, our mistakes and our, our, our wins, all of it together. Right. Yeah. So, you know, we took a, we took the opportunity with three sisters to, to do that. And that's been fantastic. And then motor city is our current game. Again, it's uh, about Detroit, about building muscle cars. It's another loaded rolling, right. And, you know, it's doing very well. You know, it's on a very much the same pace as Three Sisters. We should probably hit, you know, 2,500, 3,000 backers, which is fantastic. Yeah. You know, we learned a lot through the production process of Three Sisters. So, you know, now we're looking at, okay, how do we, you know, make sure this one can deliver, you know, during the fall instead of, you know, kind of falling into that sort of Christmas, New Year's time frame, which is not the best time to deliver because of a lot mm -hmm. of reasons. But, you know, so we're, we're doing doing all of our work that we can to make sure that happens. And, you know, like I said, so far so good. You know, folks were really excited to kind of, you know, kind of jump back into the to the loaded roll and right series. So I think Motor City Gameworks, we're going to kind of lean lean into that. That'll be sort of the you know the process that we that we follow, right? We're going to stick to these roll and right games. That's kind of going to be the brand identity that we're going to work with. And you know, so far so good. So we're we're super excited. Nice. Um, uh, how, let us know or let everybody know where they can find you and find uh, the. Uh, the new company? Yeah, so Motor City Gameworks, uh, MotorCityGameworks.com. We've got, you know, the a link back to the Kickstarter page for Motor City, as well as links to some of our, you know, we partnered with 25th Century Games to do the retail release of Three Sisters. We have a web store for some t-shirts and things like that. And so please check that out. I'm primarily on BGG as uh, Ridlin, R-I-D-D-L-E-N. <laughs> if you ask a question in our forums, I'll answer it. On Twitter, I'm M. D Ridlin, so M D R I D D L E N. Again, same thing there, right? You tag me, I will answer. <laughs> I'm happy to answer you know any questions anybody has about any of our stuff, any of our new games or old games, anything. So you know, happy to uh, have those conversations. But yeah, I love I love talking. I love seeing folks that you know kind of you know have played our stuff. It's just that's what that's what the fun part is, right? The fun yeah. part is going okay. So you know, this person in you know, literally in one case, Antarctica, <laughs> you know, was playing fleet, like, wow, our game is getting played, you know, it's in all these neat places. And that, 
that's what makes it that's you know fantastic. all worthwhile. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for coming on. This was uh, this was such a a good uh, a good session. I, thank I, you. Well, I and and you nailed it in regards to uh, what you guys are creating is just like fun. Just bottom line. Thank you for yep. creating so much fun. Thank you. Thank you. Well, that takes us to the end of this episode, uh, where I like to say thank you, and thank you so much to Matt for coming on the episode for the Designer Series. Thank you so much for listening to the episode. And uh, with that being said, I'm your host, Norm, and we'll catch you later. This has been an episode of Cardboard Conjecture, and we are Bridge City Board Gamers. And you can find us on Facebook at Bridge City Board Gamers Saskatoon. You can find us on YouTube, Bridge City Board Gamers. We are also on Twitter, at BC Board Gamers. And of course, Board Game Geek Guild number 3039.